Okay, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1 to 16. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. David commanded to gather together the residents, aliens who were in the land of Israel. And he, sent, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number. For the Sidonians and, Ty and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantities before his death. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the, God, for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord, your God, as he has spoken concerning of you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding, that when he gives you charge of over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord, your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that, are, that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains, I, will provide, I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided. To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 13.
And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. First King chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Thank you, Perla. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all today. If you don't know me, my name is Eric. I'm the pastor here at the bridge, and it is great to be with you today. I see a lot of new faces today. That's exciting. We have been the past couple months going through a series looking at King David and different relationships that he had in his life and seeing what we can learn from these different relationships with different people in his life. And last week, we looked at David and his relationship as a parent to his sons, Amnon and Absalom. It was a mess. It was just horrible. And he failed as a parent in so many ways with these boys, and it led to both of their deaths. Uh, But as we've mentioned a few times in this series, David had other kids. And for some of them, he did much better as a parent than he did with Amnon and Absalom. And one of those kids that he did better with is Solomon. And today we're going to look at David's relationship with Solomon and see what that can teach us about how to be good parents today. And if you've heard my kids screaming this morning or seen me chasing them around the room, you know that I am learning this myself. I am definitely not an expert, but I'm in the process of trying to figure this out along with the rest of everyone here. So hopefully we can learn together today as we look at David and his relationship with Solomon about how to be good parents that set our kids on a path for success in life. And what we'll see from David's relationship with Solomon is that our work as parents sets our kids up for success or failure. And we'll look at lots of things David does good with Solomon. He teaches him from his youth. He helps discern his calling. He encourages him. He sets him up for practical success. But then we'll also see that David sets a dangerous example for Solomon, which points us to our need for a better father. But before we dig in and look at the passages, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the examples of people who have gone before us and being able to look back and learn from the things they do well and the things they do poorly so that we can live in ways that honor you today. I pray that as we look at David's relationship with Solomon today, that you would use this time to help us learn to be better parents to love and serve you, and to love and serve our children and one another in ways that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just a quick side note. If you're here today and you're like, I don't have kids, this isn't for me. We mentioned this last week, but part of what we are as a church is we are a family. We are brothers and sisters with one another. So even if you don't have kids yourself, even if you never plan to have kids, Being part of a family with brothers and sisters who do have kids means part of your role as a brother and sister in the church is to encourage and support the parents among us. 
And so even if you don't have kids, never want kids for yourself, don't plan to have them, knowing about parenting is really important for you too because it helps you learn to encourage and come alongside of the brothers and sisters you have that do have kids. So whether you have young kids, grown kids, no kids, it's important for us to think about what does it look like to honor God in our parenting? And the first thing we see that David does really well with Solomon is he teaches him from his youth. The first passage we looked at today in the book of Proverbs, we see something that David does to set Solomon up for success in life. The book of Proverbs is a book where Solomon is now grown. He's teaching his kids about how to live with wisdom and skill in, lead, in ways that lead to success. And in Proverbs chapter four, as Solomon is talking to his own kids, he's looking back on his childhood, thinking about what it was like in his house growing up. And what is it that he remembers from that time? He remembers that his father taught him how to live life well when he was really young. He didn't wait until he was a teenager and could have really serious in-depth conversations. He started teaching his son when he was young, teaching him truths about life and the world that he could understand at a young age. I have a little comment for the men here. I know for the men, dads, stereotypically, when kids are really little, it can be more difficult for the men to connect with them. I know stereotypically, the women, the moment they come out, they're like, yes, my precious little baby, I love you. This is awesome. You're more important than my husband now. Sorry, I didn't say that. But every man knows it's true. But for the men, it's like, well, he doesn't do anything. Right? Like, what do I do with this? And it can be easy to feel, I've had conversations with a dad where he was like, you know, it'd be so much easier if I could just sort of leave my kid in someone else's care until they're old enough to you know, have an adult conversation and wipe their own butt and play fun games together. But actually, our involvement as parents and as fathers from a very young age is vitally important in our kids' lives. God puts us as parents in their lives so that we can be involved from the beginning in raising them and teaching them about life. Like, did you know that the first six months of your kid's life, you just being there to look back when they look you in the face does huge things for their development and helping them grow up and be able to have healthy relationships with people long-term. Dads, our role as parents doesn't start when our kids are old enough to shave. It starts the day they're born. It's our responsibility to teach them about life, to teach them about God in age-appropriate ways from their earliest days and then to continue teaching that as they get older throughout their lives. And of course, that's true for moms too. But like I said, I think moms sort of naturally get that a little bit more, which is why I singled out the dads there. But it's true whether you're a mother or a father. Our job as parents is to teach our kids to live wisely in God's world. And that starts the day they're born, as, when they're young. And when we look at what David teaches Solomon, what specifically does he teach them? He says, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. 
He says, if you want to have life, if you want things to go well, if you want success, you need to obey God and you need to get wisdom. And in the context of the book of wisdom, in the context of the book of Proverbs, wisdom is actually about fearing God, knowing him, trusting him, putting him as the center of your life. So it all goes together. Knowing God, trusting him, putting him as your priority, obeying him, that is the path to life. David's saying, as you get to know God, as you get to know him as your God, as you learn to obey him, you're gonna learn how to live with skill. You're gonna learn to live in a way that leads to blessing. And if you look at the lives of David and Solomon, both of them experience that reality that David is teaching here, that obedience to God brings blessing in their lives. Actually, a big part of the way that Solomon knew the things my dad is teaching me are true is not just because his dad said them to him, but because his dad lived it out. And he got to see the reality in his dad's life. As my dad follows God and trusts in God and obeys God, things go well for him. When my dad ignores God and does things his own way, things go poorly for him. He saw that reality because his dad lived it out. Parents, the life you live often speaks more to your kids about what's really important than the things you say. If you want kids who are gonna live in a way that's trusting God and building their lives around God, it starts with you trusting God yourself and building your life around him. There's a sociologist in America named Christian Smith, and he once said, when it comes to teens' faith, parents get what they are. When it comes to teens' faith, parents get what they are. If you tell your kids over and over and over, God's so important, God's so important, and then you prioritize everything else in your life, when your kids become teenagers, they're gonna do what you did, not what you said. And with teaching, teaching our kids to live well, to live wisely, to live with God at the center of their lives, teaching is not a one-time thing. In Hebrew culture, the job of a teacher wasn't done the moment you presented the information, it was done the moment your student learned the information. So to simply sit down with your kids and have a lecture, God's so important, keep him at the center of your life, now you're set, you can live well. Doesn't qualify as teaching in the biblical model. Teaching is presenting the material over and over and over again in different ways that they can connect with until it's internalized inside of them so that they know this is what's really important in life. I know it not just because my dad gave me a lecture once or my mom gave me a lecture once, but because I've experienced it through different teachings and experiences and examples in my life that keeping God at the center really is super, super important. So with that in mind, how do we teach our kids wisdom today? Like I said, the first thing is making it a priority in our own lives as parents. If we tell our kids that the good life and blessing comes from God being at the center of our lives, and then every moment we are busy with work or hobbies, and our kids never actually see us prioritize God ourselves, they're gonna grow up knowing that work and hobbies are far more central to the good life than God. Maybe we prioritize God ourselves and we tell our kids God is so important to the good life, but then we fill up their schedule with school and tutoring and homework. 
And when it's exam season, we make them stay home from the church service because they need to study so they can get good grades to get ahead in life. If we do that for them, what, what are we telling them is really the path to a good life? It's your school, it's your grades, it's your success, it's your achievements. It's not God. For our kids to understand that God is the most important priority in life, we have to model what it looks like to prioritize God in our own lives and in the way that we structure their schedules. Another step that's really helpful in this process is exposing our kid to the real world in age-appropriate ways. I know as parents, there's often this desire to shelter our kids from the evil of the world. And that's, I think, a good thing. We care about our kids. We want to see them have a good life. But the evil of the world is real. And if they're not exposed to it when they're around us in age-appropriate ways, then when they leave us and they all of a sudden are exposed to it, they're not going to know how to respond to it. By exposing them to various tough realities of life in age-appropriate ways when they're in our home and taking time to talk about it and help them process it, it can help them think through what's right and wrong, what are good and bad ways of living from a very early age. I once read an article by a pastor's wife who raised three kids in New York City. And, you know, in America, the stereotype is if you're a Christian family, you want to raise your, your kids to know God, never bring them to the city especially New York. Keep them in a small town where things are safe and you can avoid all the horrible things of the world. But this lady was saying, actually, raising our kids in New York City was the best thing we could have done. Because we'd go out to some type of dinner or an event and we'd come back home and we'd walk past some guy who was passed out drunk on the street. And our kids would be like, mom, dad, why is this guy just lying in the street? And we got to have conversations with our kids about this is why it's important to be responsible with alcohol. Our kids were just exposed to things living in the city that they wouldn't have been otherwise. And it gave us opportunities to, to have conversations with them, but also for them to see firsthand, this is what happens when I make foolish decisions. And so exposing our kids to the, the realities of life and helping them process. And I realize sometimes our kids get exposed to things that are not age appropriate. Right? Last week, we looked at Amnon and Absalom, and we saw that Absalom murdered his brother Amnon. And I don't know if you caught this, but all of David's sons were present when he murdered his brother, including Solomon. We don't know exactly how old Solomon was, but probably preteen. He was a young kid when he saw his brother murder his brother. That's not age appropriate at any age, but especially at that young of an age. And I hope that none of our kids are ever exposed to anything that horrible in life. But there are things that are not appropriate for them that they get exposed to that we as parents just cannot protect them from. For example, did you know that there was a survey done? They found one out of three kids' surveys was exposed to pornography online before the age of 10. Two out of five kids surveyed were exposed to pornography while at school. If we want our kids to live wisely when it comes to sex and pornography, we need to have conversations about that with them. We need to, and, and we need to do it early, right? Like probably seven or eight is the latest that we need to start having these conversations about, hey, you know, if you're online and you click a button and naked people pop up, here's what you should do. 
close it, come find mommy and daddy, let us know what happened. It doesn't have to be big, intense conversations, but just preparing them so that when these things happen, when they're exposed to stuff that's beyond our control, they know we are safe people to come to talk to about it. Because when they have questions about stuff they're exposed to in life, they're gonna ask someone. If they're not comfortable coming to us, that might be friends, that might be Google, but creating open channels of communication where our kids can come to us for those important conversations helps us be able to teach them how to live wisely in God's world. And David does this. He teaches Solomon from an early age how to trust God, how to keep God central in his life, and it sets Solomon up for success in life. And hopefully we can do the same in our lives today, but that's not all that David does in terms of setting his son up for success in life. The next thing we see is that David helps his son discern God's call on his life. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, David is reaching the end of his life. David throughout his life has really wanted to build this house for God, this temple where the people of Israel can come and worship God. And God told David, no, you can't do it, but your son will. And now David, he's preparing Solomon for this task. And he tells him, God has spoken. You are going to be the king after me. As the king, you are going to build this house for God and it's going to be magnificent and amazing. David helps give his son clarity on what God's calling for him is in life. And I know what you're thinking, Eric, the world's a little bit different now. Like our kids aren't born into just following us into the same profession that we had. God hasn't ever spoken to me to tell me what my child's going to do for his job or her job. How am I supposed to do this for my kids? But here's the reality. Yes, it's more complicated to discern our calling in life today than it was maybe for David and Solomon. But the fact that it's more complicated, not less, makes it so much more important for parents to be involved in that process. Because if you as a parent with a bit of life experience finds it difficult and overwhelming to try and think through what's God's plan for my child's life, think about how they feel. It's a 17-year-old applying for university and everyone's like, now you must figure out what you're going to do with the next 50 years of your life. That's overwhelming, right? It's scary. Kids and teens in that process need help with discerning, what do I want to do with my life? And God gave them parents to help them with that process, just like David helped Solomon with that process in his life. And yes, what that looks like for us is probably going to look different than it did for David and Solomon but it's still a vital role that God has given to parents in their kids' lives today. So parents, as your kids are trying to figure out what is God's calling for my life, here are some things that you can think about to try and help them in discerning that process. What are the gifts and skills that God has given my kid that will make them good at, my, at a job? And how can I affirm them and encourage them in those areas? What are their weaknesses or areas for growth that's going to make it hard for them to do a job well? Are there things I can do as a parent to help them recognize these weaknesses for themselves and help them grow in these areas? What opportunities can I give my kids to try different experiences that are going to stretch them and help them learn their own skills and abilities and interests? As they get older and start thinking maybe this is a career field I want to move to. 
do you know someone in that field who could sit down and have a conversation with them and just help them think through what's life like if I work here? And then how do I help them figure out what honoring God in their work looks like? How do I model that for them in the work that I do? As a parent walking along our our kids and trying to help them discern God's calling in their lives, that's a huge privilege and responsibility and it can make such a difference in their lives in helping set them up on a path of success and honoring God in their lives. David does this really well with Solomon and it sets Solomon up for success in his life and, and his role as king and the one to build the temple. And if we do it well, it can help set our kids up for success in life too. The third positive thing we see David do here today is that he encourages Solomon. As David is preparing everything for the temple, he's trying to get Solomon set up for success in this role. He realizes his son has a huge lack of experience in life, a huge lack of experience ruling a kingdom, a huge lack of experience overseeing big building projects. There are some things that are going to make it really hard for him to do this job well. But despite this, as David gives Solomon this speech preparing him in 1 Chronicles 22, his tone is overwhelmingly positive. He's aware of the dangers, he's aware of the negatives, but his focus is on the positive. In verse nine, he says, Solomon, your reign, it's gonna be a reign of rest. It's gonna be a reign of blessing. You're not gonna have to fight lots of wars like I did. In verse 10, Solomon, you are going to succeed in building God's house. You're gonna have a special relationship with God. In verse 12, he prays for Solomon to have direction and understanding. And then in verse 13, he says, Solomon's gonna have prosperity. There's a lot of positive, a lot of encouragement in his words to Solomon. No, Solomon's not perfect. He has very real shortcomings that are gonna make it tough for him to do this job well but David's focus is on building him up, not tearing him down. So how about you as a parent? As you speak with your kids, do you tend to focus more on what they do well or on the things they're bad at? Do you know how to build them up and encourage them? How can you practice encouraging them this week? You know, one really practical thing David does that encourages Solomon that we can try today is he repeats God's promises and blessings to his son. He repeats God's promises and blessings to his son, right? All those encouraging words in verses nine through 10 that David says to Solomon about Solomon building God's house and having rest and having a special relationship with God. All of those were actually promises of God that God spoke to David and David repeats to Solomon. I'm guessing this isn't the first time in his life that Solomon's heard these things, but David doesn't want him to forget them because he knows the promises of God have life-giving power in his son's life. The promises of God have life-giving power in his son's life. And the same is true for us today. The promises of God have life-giving power in our kids' lives. So if you're a parent, do you know God's promises and blessings? Do you know them for yourself? But also, do you know them for your kids? The Bible is full of them. And they're given to encourage us, but they're also given so that we can use them to encourage our kids. Like think about if you have a kid 
who gets really stressed out to go to school because they are sad to be away from you for so long throughout the day. Jesus gives us a promise in Matthew 28, 20. Think about how this could impact your kid. He says, I am with you always. Think of what it would do for your child if on their way out the door, you just had a quick conversation with them and said, hey buddy, I know it's, it's tough for you to go to school because you don't like being away from mommy and daddy. And I know that's hard, but God promises that he will never leave you. That when you go to school today, he's going to be with you. How do you think that would change your kid's day as they go to school? Maybe they need to hear a different promise of God. The Bible is full of different promises and blessings about how for the child who feels like there's nowhere that I fit in and I'm a mistake, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. You are his special creation. He loves you. The promises and blessings of God have incredible life-giving power for our kids. Parents, are you encouraging your kids? And are you encouraging them with the promises and blessings of God that have life-giving power in their lives? Doing this will set our kids up for great success in life. But then David takes it one step further in terms of setting Solomon up for success. He, he doesn't just help Solomon discern his calling. He doesn't just encourage him in it. He sets him up for practical success in that. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 14 and 15. He says, with great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord, a hundred thousand talents of gold. A talent is 75 pounds or 34 kg. That's a lot of gold. A million talents of silver. That's like 34 million kgs of silver. That's a lot of silver. And bronze and iron beyond weighing for there is so much of it. Timber and stone too, I have provided. To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working. David goes to incredibly great lengths to provide Solomon the resources that he is going to need to be successful in his task. In terms of resources, he says, yeah, Solomon, you need to get more. But David has provided tons, literally thousands or millions of pounds of different types of metals and rocks and trees so that Solomon can get to work. And in terms of workers, he's given him all the different types of workers he could need. Planners, builders, artisans, every different type of worker you could need to get this building done. David's put it in place. So all Solomon has to do is come in and say, get to work, everyone, let's go. And I'm not saying we should just give our kids everything in life so they never have to face tough times or struggle, right? Like obviously facing difficulty and having to work through it themselves is also key to success. But being able to set our kids up for practical, practical success in life is a huge step in good parenting. So parents, as your kids grow up, do you know what resources they will need to be successful? Do you know what resources your kids will need to be successful in life? And I know when I say resources, our minds all go to two things, money and education, right? Those are the things that our minds go to there. But is that all your kids are going to need to be successful in life? How many well-educated millionaires have ruined their lives? A lot. Our kids need more than just money and education. 
So on top of that, what relationships are they going to need? What experience and opportunities are they going to need in order to live well? And they might be outside the box things. Like I was reflecting back on my life this week. Like what are some of the experience that, experiences I had in life that taught me how to live well? One of them, I'm not saying this is something you must do for your kids, just sharing an example from my life. When I was 12, my parents brought a homeless family to live with us for six months. It's one of those things where like when you're 12 and your parents are like, hey, we have a family coming to stay with us. You're like, okay, cool. And then as you become a parent yourself, you're like, my parents did what? That's crazy. And in terms of my own personal sacrifice during that time, it was not huge. I had to sleep in my brother's bedroom so that this family could sleep in my bedroom. But that experience for me was huge. Seeing my parents open up their home in that way and, and bring in these strangers to live with us for six months, it taught me that it's so important to live generously. It taught me that when God's people live generously, it can have a huge impact on other people's lives. That experience has helped me be way more hospitable and generous than I would have been otherwise. It's an experience that taught me to live well. So when you think about what it looks like for your kids to live well, not just to be professionally successful and make lots of money, but to live in a way where God's at the center of their lives and they live in a way that honors him, what experiences and opportunities do they need in order to do that? And also what relationships do they need in order to do that? Like I know if you're a parent with young kids, it's really tempting to be like, my kids are all mine. I never want to share them with anyone. They're gonna be mine forever but they won't, right? When they become teenagers, they're gonna be like, mom, dad, I want nothing to do with you. And they're still gonna need people to help them navigate how do I live life? They just don't want those people to be you. So when that moment comes, who are they gonna to turn to? Are they gonna to turn to Google and random people in chat rooms on the internet? Are they gonna to turn to their teenage friends in school who know as little about life as they do? Or are they going to turn to trusted Christian adults who aren't you? If you want them to turn to trusted Christian adults who are going to give them good, wise advice on how to live life, you need to start building those relationships before your kids are teenagers. Because if you wait until things get tough as teenagers and then you're like, fix my child, your kid's going to know what's going on. They're going to be like, no, thanks. So how do you invest in those relationships when your kids are young so that when your kids are older, they have those relationships in place and they can be able to have these safe people to go to and talk to, to process the things they're facing when they're teenagers and don't want to talk to mom and dad? What relationships do your kids need in life in order to be successful? How can you as a parent set your kids up for practical success in life? Not just in terms of making lots of money, but in terms of staying faithful to God, loving others. What opportunities and experiences and relationships do you need to help them have so that they can do that? David, he does this for Solomon. He brings the right people around him. He equips him and gets the right plans in place. And it leads Solomon to success in the role that God has for him. And yet, despite all these good things that David does, he's not a perfect parent. The story of David and Solomon, it's not all happy. David does a ton of good that sets his son up for success, but he also sets a dangerous example that leads to Solomon's eventual downfall. 
We see in 2 Samuel 5.13 that David had many wives. We know of at least eight wives by name and at least 10 concubines. There were likely more. It's a lot of women for one man. And Solomon, he followed his dad's example, but took it a little bit further. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It's like a different girl every day for three years. I don't know how you remember all those names, but Solomon had a lot of wives. Steph's doing the math. It's right, right? (laughs) Yeah. And David having many wives, it leads to a lot of family conflict. But according to what the Bible says, despite all of the trouble that comes in because of this, David is able to stay faithful to God despite that. But his son is not able to. And as Solomon brings in all these wives, he begins to love his wives more deeply than he loves God. And it draws him away from the real God into worship of false gods. And these gods that he worships, they are out to destroy. We know that throughout history, the gods that Solomon turns to and worships because of his wives are gods whose worship involve things like temple prostitution, human sacrifice. We don't know what of these practices Solomon himself did, but these are the types of gods that his, women, that his wives drew him to worship. And the scary thing for us as parents is that no matter how much we do right as parents, there are inevitably going to be things we do as parents that lead our kids into temptation or set them on wrong paths for life. Is that terrifying to anyone else? A little bit, yeah? And it might not even be horrible things, right? Maybe you and your spouse have an agreement set up where you work really long hours and your spouse knows this is your way of contributing to the family and your spouse feels loved because you work really long hours to provide for the family. But from your kid's perspective, all they see is you're at work all the time. And then that becomes normal for them. And when they grow up, they expect that normal is me being at work all the time, but their spouse wants a different arrangement. They feel loved in different ways than just their spouse working hard all the time. And this example of something that actually was a positive thing in your marriage can set them up for huge problems in their own marriage. And, and that's a fairly harmless example where we're not necessarily doing something wrong, just setting our kid an example that causes trouble for them. But what about things that we do that are actually wrong? Like if you yourself watch pornography, that sets an example for your kids that says, this is okay to do, despite the fact that pornography destroys so many marriages in our world today. If you regularly come home drunk, it teaches your kids they don't need to be responsible when it comes to alcohol. If you belittle your spouse and talk down to them, it teaches your kids that that's an appropriate way to treat people. Our words and our actions, they can do great things to set our kids up for success in life, but they can also cause great harm and lead our kids astray. Which is why we all need a better father. See, the reality in our world is that the reason we as parents can cause such harm to our kids is because parents and kids all have the same fundamental struggle in life. It's something the Bible calls sin. And sin is not just about doing bad things. 
Sin is an attitude that says, God, I don't want you to be in charge of my life. I know you say life goes best when I do things your way, but I actually think life would go better if I did things my way. So quit telling me what to do. I'm going to do things my way and I'm going to get better results. And that heart attitude, the Bible says, is behind all the bad things we do in life that typically get labeled as sin. And by God's grace, this blessing that we don't deserve, he guards and protects us so that we don't make the world as terrible as it could possibly be. But the fact that this attitude is in all of our hearts and has spread throughout the world means that even the most godly of parents, even King David, the man after God's own heart, he does things in his parenting, we do things in our parenting that point our kids in the wrong direction. So should we just avoid having kids that we can avoid leading them into this trouble? No. The shortcomings of parents aren't meant to make us lose hope. They're meant to direct our hope to a greater parent. So the Bible says that God is the perfect heavenly father, that he created us to be his children, but we turned away from him because we wanted to live life our own way. We told him to get lost, let us do our own thing. And we deserve consequences from that. We deserve to be separated from him because of that. But rather than leave us to ourselves like we deserved, God came after us. He sent his son Jesus to bear the consequences we deserve, to die on our behalf, so we can be welcomed back into God's family as adopted children. That if we trust in God, he adopts us back into his family as his sons and daughters, and he is the perfect father. That he has given us his word to teach us throughout our lives, just like David taught Solomon from an early age that when we trust in him, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and guide us as we seek to discern his plans for our lives. That he encourages us and blesses us with his word, just like David encouraged Solomon. That he provides us with everything we need to be successful in life and he will never lead us astray. God is the perfect father that no human parent will ever be. At their best, human parents can point to his goodness and give us a a glimpse of what he's like. At their worst, the failure of human parents reminds us that they can never be our savior or the solution to our deepest problems. And we need a greater father. And we see both of those dynamics in David's relationship with Solomon, him modeling God's love and care well, and him showing you actually need God, not me, as your true father and savior. So church, if you are a parent, God has given you a very, very important job in your kids' lives, regardless of whether your kids are a month old, regardless of whether they're full grown. You have great power to bring life and blessing to your kids by teaching them, by helping them discern God's calling for their lives, by encouraging them, by setting them up for success, but you will fail them. And that's okay, because in the end, the most important thing isn't that you're a perfect parent, but it's that in your parenting, you point them to the only perfect parent who is God. And as difficult as it is, each time you fail as a parent, it gives you another chance to point them back to him. Because he's not only the savior that they need, he's also the savior that you need. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that you are the perfect father, that even though human parents fail over and over and make mistakes and lead our kids in wrong directions, that you never do. That you're with us, that you guide us, that you love us through our failures, that you're good to us. I pray that this week you would help us to trust in you and love you, to follow you, to honor you in our parenting. For those who aren't parents, that we would be able to encourage the parents among us and be a blessing to them. In Jesus' name, amen.